Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to look at um, down through 19 of this passage today. Citizen saints. Citizen saints of the kingdom of God. Paul says that's our new position in Christ. He uses those words, and let's look at them a little bit, because I think they're um, encouraging. So God be the glory with that. So let's start at verse 11. We'll read this, we'll pray, we'll get started. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, one new humanity in the place of two. So making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father, so that you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we open this passage, uh, uh, this text again, now multiple times we come to it, we see what you're doing, that you're taking from all the disparate groups of people, and you're changing them so totally and so completely in Jesus Christ that they can be at peace with one another. Because you've reconciled them to God, because you've saved them in your blood, they not only can love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but they can love one another. They can love their neighbor. Father, as we begin to realize more and more of how this fits our lives as your church, as your people, as that one new humanity, Father, I just pray that we would go into this world and preach the good news of the gospel. For it's the gospel, it's the only thing that saves man. The only thing that saves man is the gospel. Speak to your people through your words this morning, Father. Use your spirit, overcome my simple inabilities, and speak directly to them in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this passage again, and uh, as we begin in it, I, uh, I catch these words there in verse 19. No longer are you strangers. Well, some of you are still strange, okay? No. You can laugh at that, all right? No longer are you strangers and aliens, but you've been changed. Uh, fundamentally, uh, your very nature has been changed. But now it says in verse 19, you are citizens with the saints, citizen saints of the household of God, members of the household of God, citizen saints in the kingdom of God. Citizens, that word is a uh, kind of a unique word, and that's been the key through my heart this week as we kind of put pen to paper and, and the focus for this morning is what is a citizen? What is a good citizen? 
Uh, I think our world's yearning for that, isn't it? We see a lot of strife in there. And these words in chapter 2 not only fit our time and our culture very well, but they fit the mood of our country and the mood of our people. Uh, We would be remiss to say if we thought things were getting better, it looks to me as if they're getting worse, that the strife in our inner cities and the strife between men is continuing to worsen. Um, As the church steps down, so to speak, or as it is um, forgotten to some extent, um, our society, our culture has gotten rougher, more coarse. The struggle between men has risen. And that should be no mistake if you read these words and you understand them, because the only thing that can bring peace to mankind is the blood of Jesus. The only thing that can bring peace to mankind is to be reconciled with God. And when we're reconciled with God, then we are reconciled with our brothers and sisters. Paul leaves, that's not, I mean, you don't need me. You can read that in this text. The hostility is there between us and God. And because it's between us and God, the hostility is there between us and our fellow man. So to break it down between us and our fellow man, we have to first break it down between us and God. It is the only message to save. And I kind of want to hit you this morning and say, do you understand the gravity of this passage and what Paul's saying here? Because I think we can take great encouragement in that the church is the answer for these issues of mankind. The church has always been the answer because it's at the church where the things of God are, where the gospel is preached. It is in the church, residing in the heart of the people of the church. The church is not the building that we're in this morning. We call it that because that's where the church gathers. It's in your heart. It's in my heart. The love and the nature of the gospel that can go out and literally change a man from being hostile towards God to being loving towards God and loving towards his fellow man. So the gravity of Paul's argument here is not minor in the book of Ephesians. In fact, the the whole book bears this out. Uh, The chapter 1 that we just came through and the indicatives of what God has done for, for us before the foundation of the world just continues to build. This is what the whole world is about. This is what the whole story is about. This is what matters. This is where God is working. All the rest of it in the end will mean nothing without Jesus Christ. So I don't know how closely you've been following along. I don't see anybody taking naps on Sunday morning, so I love that. But in the last couple of weeks' messages, or you know, if you want to rewatch them, they're available online if you can bear that. But Paul is making a monumental argument here. And I think it's truly earth-shattering. It's regarding the division of groups of men from God. It's regarding that God's judges by sin and not skin color. Because our world focuses on skin color and not sin. (laughs) That is so fundamental in this passage. Because the Jews hated the pagans. The Ephesians, Paul reminds them there in verse 11, remember that you were once this hated nation, these Gentile pagans. And as we see the animosity between men in our country and our culture today, we don't see what God sees as the division between men. We call it something much different. Man categorizes it as a skin color, as Uh, your sexual orientation, as your 
financial orientation, your social orientation, but God only sees one thing, and that's the heart. God judges by sin, not by skin color, and in so, pointing to the creation of a new humanity. Indeed, a new nation, as we'll work on that word ethnicity in Christ. We need to parse it carefully because contained in this text is what is true about and for all of civilization and all of mankind, from eternity past until forever. I mean, this is, this is what it's talking about. There is nothing more pressing that we understand than that there are some men separated from God, and those men in this place are the ones because they are separated from God, because there's hostility between them and God. There's hostility between them and the fellow man. We were at once separated. That's what Paul's saying. And you say, well, Pastor, you know, you're making a lot of out of that. That sure is a big claim, really. All of civilization, all of civilization, all of creation points to the glory of God. All of it is meant for us to look into it and see nature and understand how God's made us and point our minds towards God. All of it, everything, even the strife, I would tell you this morning, is for us to look and see the failure of our laws, the failure of our tryings and our wantings and our greatest efforts to try to reconcile man to man will have and will and are and always have and always will fail without the gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, I believe it is one of those type of arguments. And I understand the complacency here some uh, regarding these things. I do. I mean, you guys are busy. You have lives, right? I encounter people all the time when I'm out witnessing the gospel. And, and, and if I've said it once, I've said it a hundred times, they just don't stop and take the things of God seriously. They don't consider them with any intellectual depth or fortitude. Not only who God is, but their position before God. Not only their position before God, but what God might be doing in this world all around us. When what's available to them in Jesus Christ? What can change their life? What can give them hope? What can give them a better tomorrow is the hope in Jesus Christ and knowing that, that every tomorrow is ordered if you're a son or daughter of Jesus Christ. Hmm, that's what we celebrate this time of year is Christ coming into the world. Beloved, this is the word this morning. Jesus Christ is Lord. And I don't know if you understand the implications of that truth and that statement. It's a simple statement. Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord, and you are a citizen subject of his kingdom. Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no other political ruler or power or kingdom that will offset his ever, forevermore. And you are a citizen subject in his kingdom under that lordship it is to the exclusion of all others because he is lord somebody has to be on top he is on top and nobody can take that position from him for what he's done he is there now it may look like he is not but bible tells us and scripture tells us explicitly that he is lord and he reigns now and that all of his will uh, as we saw it there just look at verses 9 10 11 in chapter 1 God is making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. It's the plan for the fullness of time. It's the only plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, that is Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. All the, everything will be reconciled either to God or judged by God through the work and lordship of Jesus Christ. So if we're rightly living that truth, 
uh, all that we believe, there would be immediately, immediately be implications for the culture around us if we were truly living what we believed. If we were truly living what we believed, there would be even more turmoil, I believe, in this world. And we see some of it even now. We see Christians persecuted in what we believe, and we see the evil as it swells around us, and we see the disquiet in our culture. People are not at rest. <laughs> one of the greatest things that, um, you know, and, and I had this for later, but one of the interesting things to me, and Liz and I have dealt with this for uh, 25 plus years, is the amount of psychotropic medicines that are being given to our population in large. You know, if there was a great show, you, you jump in your car and you drive 295, you go in, I know many of you probably don't do this, but if you drove into downtown Philly every day for work, Angela's not here, I know she does, probably some of you all do. You've seen how people drive, people are kind of, it's rush hours, a, um, you know, it's a crazy thing, isn't it? People are in a hurry, they want to get to where they're going, they're willing to do anything to get there sometimes. We see the pace, we see the anxiousness, we see the, we see the angst, we see the anger, we see the hate, we see the hostility, we see it played out on TV, we see it everywhere. And yet we're a nation that is, by and large, taking a lot of anxiety drugs where that shouldn't be there. I wonder what would happen if we had a great pharmaceutical shortage and those things weren't there tomorrow. I think there's the level of angst in our society is at a breaking point at some, to some extent, it seems. Peace is only available through Jesus Christ is what Paul is saying in this passage. Your relationship with the other men, your relationship with your boss, your relationship with every person in this world depends on how you feel about Jesus and what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. We can't love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. had it not been for the work and the peace preaching of Jesus Christ. You see that there? I think it's verse 17. Verse 17. And he came and he preached peace to the far off and to the near. It's that preaching of peace that begins to separate people and be doing that work in our, in our lives. Our world hates this truth. This is what I'm calling this morning gospel particularity. Gospel particularity. And you will hear that word particularity this morning and some uh, over the next couple of weeks. And it's somewhat a controversial subject, but it is a biblical truth. Gospel particularity simply means that the only way for peace is a particular way, and that way is through the blood of Jesus Christ. It's never going to be, you know. And I, I don't get, uh, don't don't take me wrong here this morning. Um, psychotropics work, and some people do need them, but they're overprescribed. And our world is on just seemingly on that brink at all times. Our world needs the peace of Jesus Christ. We're only going to see that angst rise as people walk away from the church. Our world needs the blood of Jesus Christ, particularly the only way that that peace will ultimately come is through the work of Jesus Christ. Scripture only views two types of people. You see it there in verse 11, the circumcised and the uncircumcised. We had this a couple weeks ago. That's the Bible's way of saying those that understand the things of God and those that never had the things of God. The people in Ephesians never had the things of God. That's why Paul's reminding them, you were once the uncircumcised, but now you've been brought near. Jesus has preached peace. You've come. You've heard the truth about God. You've heard this gospel particularity. This gospel was preached to you. It is a particular way of salvation and by only the blood and it's only through Christ. 
So they're either circumcised or uncircumcised. The Bible doesn't say and doesn't break it down into any other groups than that. The people that know the things of God and the people that are ignorant of the things of God. It's not about skin color. It's not about if you're a male or a female, rich or poor, tall or short or skinny or fat or whatever. It's about whether you know the things of God, whether you are, uh, understand who God is or whether you do not. And here's the claim. The whole world calls this discrimination based on race, right? We can't call out one group from the other, but God will always do that. God calls it sin. Every problem is not because we're treating somebody a special way because of their skin color. If I'm treating somebody uh, a, a certain way because of their skin color, it's not their skin color that's the problem, beloved. It's what's going on in my heart that's the problem. It's the sin in my life. Here's the claim. The whole world calls this discrimination, but God calls it sin. Man makes categories based on melanin levels, right? But God looks at the heart. Acts 17, 26 says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live all on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. I don't want to go too far into this, but the level of melanin that you have in, the, in your skin is based on where your ancestors were placed in proximity to the equator. God decided that. He's determined the allotted periods that people have lived and the boundaries of their dwelling place. But it decisively says, and he made from one man every nation. Remember that word nation is ethnos, ethnicity, every people group, every color. God made from one man. And of course that man was Adam. Listen. If a person is judging, as I said, based on skin color, it's not the skin color that's the problem. It's what's going on in the heart of the person that's doing the judging because he is sinning. This is gospel particularity. This is biblical particularity. Verse 13, we can only be brought near by the blood of Christ. There's not any other path to the top of the mountain. It's only by the blood of Christ. It's not by works. It's not by good deeds. It's not by financial effort. It's not by you're based on you coming to church on Sunday. It is not anything other than you being born again, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that brings you near to God. This is particularity. This is not an open free-for-all. This is particular things that need to happen for you to be brought near to God so that you can uh, kill the hostility the hostility between you and God can be killed and between you and your neighbor. Verse 14, it's to make one new man, one new nation, one new ethnicity, if you will. God is making one new person out of all the desperate groups of people throughout of this planet. Now, in doing that, he's not changing their skin color. He's not changing whether they're male or female. He's not changing whether they're tall or short. But he is bringing them together because he's fixing what separates them. What separates them is in their heart. What separates them is their sin. What needs to be fixed, what has to be covered, what has to be taken care of can only be taken care of. That's why it's particularity in the blood of Jesus Christ. In the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 15 and 16, we see it there. Read the words with me. I'll go back to 14. For he himself is our peace, that's Christ, who has made us both one 
and has broken down in his flesh what divided us, that hostility that's in our hearts. How did he do that? By paying for our sin, by fulfilling the law for us, by abolishing the law of commands, of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man. You've been made new if you're in Christ. Literally, your nature has been changed and you're becoming more like Christ. The racial animus between people will only be solved by biblical and gospel particularity. There's no other way that this can happen. This, this is gospel, gospel particularity. Buddha will never save you. He's got a cute little statue. Neighbor up the road just for me has got a cute little Buddha statue out front. Makes me want to stop every time I go by and rub his little belly. <laughs> you think I'm kidding. Buddha can't save you. Muhammad can't save you. Mokshu, Hindu Mokshu can't save you. My goodness, that's such a lie. But wait a minute. Our government can't save you either. Your works can't save you. The best laws, all of the discriminatory laws that we have, none of those can save you. The Bible explicitly says that it is particularly one way that you can be saved. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me, Jesus exclaims. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. That's narrow. Sounds like the narrow way. The only way that you can come to God is through. If there's not a bigoted statement in all of the Bible, this is it. And that is going off the biblical definition, not popular culture's definition of what bigoted means. Just take a look at it in your dictionary. Google it. I'll allow you to do that right now. Google it. Jesus is being bigoted here. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if the only way to be reconciled to my fellow man is to be reconciled to God, and if the only way to be reconciled to God is to be in Christ, and the only way to be reconciled in Christ is to be born again, beloved, this is simply biblical and gospel particularity. Matthew seven thirteen through 14 is just another verse to support this. It is towards the end of the, um, the passage where Jesus is teaching on the mountains, the Beatitudes. He says these words, verse 13, chapter 7 of the book of Matthew. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. That's what we see in our world. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it. Or few. That is gospel and biblical particularity. This is gospel and biblical particularity because on them, uh, can, only on this, uh, these truths can two warring parties become one new humanity. And that's what we need in our lives today is one new humanity. So verse 17 says to create that new humanity, God sent his son to die. He came and preached peace. He came and preached peace to those who were near and to those who were far off. Verse 18 says, For it's through Christ we have access to the Father, to the life, to the peace, to the security, to the love, to the grace, to everything the human heart desires that it longs for. All those things can be found in Jesus Christ. This is why he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? Human, and what I put on every post I make, you guys have seen it on Facebook. Anybody that follows me on Twitter, anything that I write, down at the bottom it says, to know is to live. 
Because Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and your son, Jesus Christ. That's the only way to eternal life. That's the only way to know reality and be connected to who God is. That is the only way. I, I can't say it any other way because there is no other way. There's no other way. This is it. This is all that matters. If you're not right with God, you need to seek Christ. Your, your heart, your heart will be satisfied only in him. We can have all the world's treasures, beloved, and still not have peace. We can have everything. We can have all the financial resources and still not have peace. And we will not find these things or peace by any other means or any other method or any other work or through any other person but the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So do you understand the implications to this? We're telling everybody that believes otherwise they're wrong. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The truth, this truth, I think, structures the cosmos. And it structures the world. And if I was divided like God was, you have the people that understand that truth in Jesus Christ. And you have this great vast sum of people who are seeking something and they don't know what it is. Seeking something and they don't know what it is. Beloved, we have what they're seeking. This truth structures the cosmos, the world, and every creature on it. So the goal is to create new citizen saints. You see it there in verse 19. I love this verse, and I would talk about it a lot more than you'd probably let me this morning. <laughs> verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. A citizen, what is that? What is Paul telling us we are there? A citizen is defined thusly as legally recognized subject um, of a nation or of a state or of a commonwealth, as the wording is here, either native or naturalized. That is much different from just being a resident who lives legally somewhere. By law, a citizen is one who legally belongs to that country or nation. The words are important here. Don't let me lose you. That word nation is the same word that we get the word ethnicity from. I've told you before in the Bible that it's translated either way, wherever it sounded the best in the, in the English, or wherever it worked the best in the English, but it means the same thing. In the Greek, it is ethnos. It sounds like our word ethnicity, and in some places it is translated ethnicity, but it is also synonymous and can be translated as nation because nation and ethnicity and, and uh, citizen... All three are very synonymous words. And to understand that, to understand the depth of the beauty of what Paul's saying here, we need to grasp onto that a little bit. Because a, a citizen's something much different than just a resident. A resident uh, is somebody who legally lives in a place, but they're not legally owned or living in that place as, resident, as, as citizens, as that is their nation. Uh, let me clear it up a little bit. I, I, I tend to, to overwork this some, but let me clear it up. Because Christians say we're residents of, of earth, but our citizenship is where? Right? See the difference now? That, that's probably a little bit better. I'll give you this illustration because this is fascinating to me. And I, I've told you all a hundred times before, I love groupthink. And I love to see things like this happen because it's, um, it's just fulfilling the truth of Scripture. And I hope you see it as well. Whenever Liz and I began traveling out east, 
I mean, we made several trips, first to New York and, and with her family here on our way through. And uh, we, we began bringing the kids out to the shore about 25 years ago. I mean, we almost bought a business in New York up just north of the city. Um, so we've had a lot of attachment out here. So, but it's been the last five years when I started working um, through our work with the North American Mission Board. Really, it was our work on our own. Uh, we tried to partner with them, and they would not. But uh, I would come and stay at my aunt's house in Woodbury. You guys know this. This is how I met you all. And I would stay at her house there just off Cooper Street. And just up from her house, right across the uh, turnpike, is a Walmart. You guys ever been to Walmart? You ever heard me talk about Walmart? I love going to Walmart, don't I? But one of the things I began to notice at this Walmart was, is that when you pull into the parking lot there at Walmart, uh, the carts were just everywhere. You guys notice that? You ever been to Walmart and had to move a cart so that you could park? It don't happen so much down here, but it sure does in Woodbury. It was very interesting to me. And my, I know, listen, they, they, not only did they not put them uh, back in the store, but they would not put them even back in the, in the parking, in the cart corrals, you know. Uh, so they're just scattered all around the parking lot. And a lot of times you have to move them to get into the parking lot. This is amazing to me. It's fascinating psychologically to me. Let's put it that way. And you might wonder why I would even pay attention to such a thing. But I did because when I was 15 years old, my first real job was bringing those carts from out of the parking lot into the store. Okay? Except that was back when um, they didn't have one of those electric things to push them with. Right? Those kids got cheating today. And, you know, when, when I did it, it was like snow was three foot deep and it was always uphill. Right? <laughs> okay, it wasn't. But this is a good illustration of the difference between citizens and resident. A citizen, I believe, is invested in cares where a resident, not so much. A citizen has what I call skin in the game and is cognizant of the implications of actions like leaving their car. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's a big deal to me because it tells me a lot about the people that would just leave the cart there for somebody else. Now, you might say, well, pastor, that, that creates a job for somebody else, and it, indeed it does. But I would say that job would be um, uh, better kept or better um, carried out if people would just put at least the carts back in the cart corrals. Certainly be a lot of safer for my cart not to get my car to get dinged by a car. But I think it really shows the difference between a citizen and a resident. A citizen has got some skin in the game. They care. They want to make life better. Conversely, a resident is just there, usually there for a time and then gone. They got no skin in the game. They got no real connections. And to them, ultimately, I don't think that it matters whether those carts are there or the carts are put away for somebody else to you. So what we have in our culture, what our culture has made are a bunch of residents, I believe. People who don't care. People who believe they can just let someone else care about the little things like that. And they'll just take care of themselves. And I don't think this is any surprise to any of us. I mean, you, you've experienced it before. You may have not stop and thought about it like I have. But since I brought it to your consciousness this morning and I tend to overthink these things like I said, I think it fundamentally illustrates a truth, an ethic in our culture, in our society, a fundamental flaw of man, and that is citizenship. And I, I, I don't know, maybe you guys don't even know this, but fast food restaurants here are just not the same as they were in Missouri. I have trouble going into a fast food restaurant now. They, they're not staffed. They can't get you your food. There's trash everywhere. They're just not clean. You guys notice that, or is that just me? Right? It's like that. Um, call a, and this is where particularity comes in, because if you call a government office, 
Um, the first thing you've got to do, or if you call any government entity, the first thing you've got to do is wait the first seven minutes on hold, trying to pick which language you're going to talk. Uh, yeah, and and this is the difference between and well, transgenderism would be another one. We can't let everybody have cannot be universality. There has to be some common ethic that holds us all together, that we all believe in, that makes things matter, that makes life matter, it makes it worth cleaning the, the place up so somebody will have a clean place to set or taking the trash out so they're not staring at that while that's happening. Even in the immigration system, there has to be some kind of assimilation or we, we won't be able to communicate with one another. And this universality that people are trying to push will keep them, this is, this is the truth of this, it's going to keep them from seeing the particularity of the gospel. They're going to say, no, the gospel can save me and I can still be transgender. Uh, the, I can keep my pet sin and not care and still be saved. But that is so different than the particularity of the gospel. So what Paul is teaching here is a citizenship of a new humanity. And beloved, our culture needs this teaching, this preaching, this peace. Some of them are farther off than the others. Right? We see it. We go into a fast food joint, it's there. We call a government office, it's there. We look at everything we see about sexual immorality and LGBTQ. The further that acronym gets out to the right, the more universality it carries. And the further it gets away from any gospel truth. But then Jesus came and peace was preached to those who were far off and to those who were near. And Paul's carrying through this theme of the two people groups. Those who are far off, those who are believing all these things are okay, those who are probably just residents and not citizens. Again, that word's very important. They were the uncircumcised and those near the circumcised. Both groups needed this peace. Those who were far off and those who were near, they needed this peace with God and both were preached to and the same gospel brought those two and those desperate separate entities all together as one new man, one redeemed, reconciled man to God. Two groups, two men become one man in the church through Jesus Christ and only through Christ. It's particularity that saves them. There's only one way to that salvation. That truth that you become new is critical to this understanding, what it means to become a citizen. And the citizenship here in verse 19 is a citizenship in the household of God. That status is much different than being outside. Scripture here talks about them being outsiders, being aliens, and now they were citizens. They were separated from the commonwealth, and now they were citizens in the commonwealth. They were separated from the promises of God through Jesus, and now they own the promises of God. And I go back to the covenant, and I could preach that over and over. If you would look at your Old Testament and look at everything that God promised Israel because of what Christ has done, that is for you in the church today. They were separated from all that good stuff, all those blessings. It's more than Paul identifies them with the state when he says the word citizen. A citizen, and this is the way a lot of times, this is the way I teach Greek, it's phonetically heard. Like if I say uh, phileo, that's a type of Greek love. But it's also in a compound word called Philadelphia. 
the philae or phileo, Adelphia, is love of the brother. Um, ethnos is another Greek word that sounds like our word ethnicity, right? All those words, philo, eros, is the Greek love for uh, Greek word for erotic love. Sophos, sophistry. You see how it works? That's kind of how Greek works. It's because our whole English language has made up of the Greek and the Latin. So what Paul's doing here, and what he does throughout all of his writing, it's so wonderful, is that he's using this word citizen for a reason, because there's something in that word citizen. And let me say it in the Greek, sympolitis. It's from the root word polis. It's where we get the word poliartakes. So we went from citizen to politician. So the word citizen is a political word. The word translated citizen has political connotations. I'm going to bring it together here. Stay with me, I promise. Well, so does this statement, Jesus is Lord. That has tremendous political implications. Your citizenship is of his kingdom and lordship. And we're not going to have time today, but we're citizen saints. The saints is your position in the church. We're either citizen saints living in this world or saintly citizens. Citizen saints living in the kingdom of God or saintly citizens in this world. Do you see how it's working there? We're going to work on that more in time to come. Jesus is Lord because he is, and that is why Herod, even as we celebrate, come tonight to the play, you're going to see it, and the wise men who were actually first century Persian kingmakers. That's why Herod was so fearful. He understood the political implications of saying that Jesus is Lord. Our culture needs to understand the political implications of us being citizens in the kingdom of God. And so if we wind it all together here, Paul's teaching us that we, who have been saved by the gospel, are citizen saints. That is, we are citizen saints of the kingdom of God. So biblical citizenship is particular. Biblical citizenship is just as particular as gospel particularity is because citizenship requires particularity to survive. I told you earlier that we can't have all these universal groups and the nation survive as we know it. We can't have all of these different groups brought into the church unless it's through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that is a very particular thing. They have to go from their universal stance on accepting everything and everybody the way they are and leave everything and everybody, completely leave their own worth and ability, completely leave their own ability to choose and to be good and, and fall at the foot of the cross, the particularity of the cross. So citizenship, beloved, is lived out in ethnicity. Citizenship is our nationality whether it be as an American or as a member of the kingdom of God. Ethnicity has nothing to do with how much melanin, melanin, melanin you have or don't have uh, in your skin. And as I said earlier, it's based on your ancestors' proximity to the equator, not race. My friend Paul, who's a Hindu uh, Indian that lives in Chandigarh, India, uh, when it gets to be 110 degrees outside, he gets he turns from a, a skin color almost of my son Malik's to the blackest skin color you've ever seen because melanin is doing the work that it does. If I were to judge his ethnicity, I would call him a black man, but he's an Indian. He's not an African. 
This week on Twitter, Elon Musk, and I don't know how much you follow this craziness, but he's dumped out a lot of stuff and he's caused a big ruckus. And I've seen several tweets saying that he's a white man who's racist. That's the only reason he's doing this. But it just tells you that you cannot judge by skin color because he's an African. <laughs> if you took his DNA, he's as African as anybody that, that, that would be identified by that color. And that's why you can't do that. Uh, Daryl Harrison, a, a black man, a, a friend of mine, he is, um, works with John MacArthur. He lives in California. But he's a man of unquestionable character and an astute theologian and public voice for biblical truth. He's a man who carries a metric ton of moral authority regarding racial issues. He wrote uh, a tweet back to this man about Elon Musk, and he says this, Elon Musk isn't white, he's African. Melanin doesn't equate to ethnicity. Learn the difference. God does not see in skin color, beloved. This is what happens. When we look at the skin and not the sin, God reads the heart and not the skin color. Only sin will separate you from God, not your skin color, ever. Not man's categories, but God's categories. So we don't live according to our skin, but according to our ethnicity. And this citizenship particularity is what we must live with our nation, our nation, and our people. Our nation is our people, no matter what color our skin is. We live with our people. Our people here, our people is the church, our people is people in Pennsville, the people we're familiar with, the people we understand, the people we know, the the things that we experience with them, the trauma that we go through. We, you, you are my people now. You've accepted me, even, even though you can't believe it, right? And you're my people. I'm your people, Amen. right? Stephen Wolf writes it this way. Ethnicity as something experiences familiarity with others based in common language, manners, customs, stories, taboos, rituals, calendars, social expectations, duties, loves, and religion. These permit the ease of action and communication, the efficient completion of common projects, clarity of mutual understanding, and the ability to achieve the highest ideals and works of the civil life. Put differently, he says, the members of a people group have the same world, which makes possible the full range of human cooperation, activities, and achievements, and collective sense of homeland and togetherness. There's nothing more true than this being a particular truth about what Paul is saying. This civilian, this citizenship that we have, we have because we're with our people. And we are the same people. We are different people made one by what, beloved? By the work of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't matter whether it's here in the nation of India 1,500 miles away or 2,000 miles away, the church and the people of God are your people. Do you see that? That's what Paul's saying here. It's the only way to do it. It's the only way to have that closeness. Our, our culture shows us just the opposite. Trying to allow everybody to be their own person only makes the whole worse. It's about nearness. If we don't love ourselves, we can't love our neighbor, right? It's about nearness and it's about commonality and it's about what God is doing to bring us together to be one people through Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what color that person is. It's about the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how rich that person is. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how tired and hurt and hungry. It is about the precious blood and work of Jesus Christ. Beloved, peace can be yours 
God is greater than all the turmoil in this world. If you'll just trust Jesus Christ, you will find a willing Savior who will love you and save you and take away the hurt that this world has caused. I promise you that. Gracious Heavenly Fathers, we come to a close today. This citizenship we have, this citizenship in heaven, this citizenship in your church, this citizenship in your kingdom, is all because of the work that you've done through your son Jesus. Father, it's in his name that we gather, we exalt you in that work. It's in his name that we know that we're forgiven. It's in his name that you do that work in us. You've made us new people. You've made us one new humanity. And together we come together with our voices and we praise you for that. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. As we go from this place today, be with each heart. Be with them as they go and help them to know what you've done in their life. Help them to grab a hold of their citizenship. Help them to grab onto their people and live with the hope of all the, all the blessings that you have in the covenants for us. Father, we pray these things in the name of, strong name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.